Hello again. It's Knowing God with Heart and Mind, the regular visit to the virtual church classroom at Shiloh United Methodist Church. I'm Pastor Dan, and I'm joined by my brilliant daughter, Bethany, as we study together the book by C.S. Lewis called Mere Christianity. This week we're looking at uh, book three, chapter seven, Forgiveness. We are halfway. We are halfway. This is the halfway. This is episode 18 of our Mere Christianity book study, and we are halfway. That is awesome. Mm -hmm. Today's recording is being made on July 26th, 2019, and uh, I guess it's time to just dive right in, Bethany. This is uh, all about forgiveness. Um, So you know our our discussion guide says on second thought lewis lewis is, uh, suspects that forgiveness of loving thy enemy or christian virtue of charity may be even more unpopular than the virtue of chastity mm-hmm. <laughs> so forgiveness is a lovely idea until we actually have something to forgive it can become not merely difficult but detestable as in the case of a Pole or a Jew forgiving the Gestapo. Mm-hmm. So whether or not we think we can forgive, Christianity mandates that we must forgive. So what specifically is the mandate? To love your neighbor. I mean, that's the basic. Right. That's, I mean, like, and your neighbor includes your enemy, unfortunately. You know, or we feel like it's unfortunate. Um, but oh. I love that he says the Gestapo thing because, you know, we've had the privilege of meeting a remarkable woman who we who just, just left us and went went home. Yeah. Um, Ava Core, and That's she's right. that's what she based her entire platform and life after the war on. Yeah. Was forgiveness, and and that is you know. We're going to go through this chapter, but the fact that somebody like Ava Kaur, who suffered quite mm-hmm. a lot. No, you're absolutely right. You know, we, She's able to forgive. That tells me that I probably need to be able to forgive things, too. We had the rare privilege, and it was rare, mm-hmm. to visit her Candles Museum in Terre Haute and to have her as our guide walking through the museum and telling us the stories behind the pictures and the artifacts and then when she discovered that we were a clergy family from nearby she gave us extra time to just visit and talk about the whole idea of forgiveness yeah we were really lucky we got to sit with her for i don't know an hour and a half almost two hours just us yeah and she's a remarkable person yeah she's rare and and i think that's that in itself is evidence of the power of forgiveness mm-hmm. because a person who truly forgives is a person whose presence you won't soon forget. Mm-hmm. You know, a person with that degree of forgiveness is someone that is so unusual that in every other aspect of their lives it shines through. Mm-hmm. And that was her. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. And, uh, you know, and it's it's true. We have a um, we have all a, a, a huge tendency to to want justice, 
And I remember in one of my own personal battles with the concept of forgiveness, there was this breakthrough moment, and I remember it distinctly because I was mowing the grass, and I was listening to Stephen Covey's book on audio, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Now, how in the world all of that correlated is beyond me. But at one moment, I just woke up and realized that I was expecting someone else to eventually figure out that they owed me something. Mm -hmm. And therefore, the essence of forgiveness is to cancel the debt, which is the exact same forgiveness that we get at the cross. And at that moment, my life was changed forever because I realized that I was trying to hold a debt against someone that didn't even know they owed it to me. Mm -hmm. And the only way that I could get peace was to rip that page out of my book mm -hmm. and forget the debt. And I made that decision to do that. And just to make it more uh, tactile, to make it more real. I got off the lawnmower, went in, sat down, and wrote an email to the person and asked their forgiveness for anything that I did that contributed to their pain without coming right out and saying, forgive me for being someone who only made it easier for you to hurt me. I didn't quite say it that way, but that's basically what I was saying is, mm -hmm. is you know, you hurt me deeply. You don't have obviously no intention of ever apologizing or even think that you owe me an apology but I want you to know that the debt is canceled and so the only way I could say that was to say I'm sorry because I ended up with power over that person in a way because I asked their forgiveness when in fact you know how could Ava Court like did you think she asked Mangala for forgiveness you know she didn't have anything to ask him for forgiveness. Yeah. So all she could do was to say, I forgive you. Yeah. But that's also someone who probably knew that there were things that needed to be forgiven. You know, uh, Ava didn't know him, but she knew one of his associates mm -hmm. and actually met with him. Mm -hmm. And they made peace, mm -hmm. you know, which is pretty remarkable. But but what's so amazing is is that, that the power of forgiveness, it lies within you. It's not in the other person. You can hold another person accountable for something that you feel they owe you, and you'll just end up frustrated and disillusioned and bitter. Well, I was a little grumpy with the last chapter, but this one I think is just phenomenal the way he talks about it because he says, and we're going to get to it, so I won't go into it a lot, but... Lewis points out, like, there's nowhere in scripture that says you have to suddenly like this person. Right. Or it, even, or, and it's not about the person. Mm -hmm. It's about the things they've done. Right. And the state of their soul because of the things they've done. Like, it's, um, and I think that's brilliant because I think too, people, too many people get hung up on that. And he talks about it, so I'm not going to keep going. But, well, but it's just so good. You did lead me to something just then, though, and, and that is, is that we tend to forget, especially the way we're unpacking this book, is that if you read straight through this book or listen to an audio version, as I have, 
Lewis is making a logical argument from the beginning of the book all the way to the mm-hmm. end, and this is all part of the flow of the thing. Mm-hmm. When he gets to this point in the discussion, it's not by accident. He didn't just say, oh, well, I guess I ought to talk about forgiveness now. This man was brilliant. Mm-hmm. He organized the entire book, and, and he chose to deal with forgiveness at this point because he had a specific reason, and that's why it didn't come before the chapter on marriage. It came after the chapter mm-hmm. on marriage. I don't know what he was thinking there, but I do know that when he talks about forgiving a person for their actions— He's talking about the distinction that he described earlier between the sins of the flesh and the sins of the soul. He didn't say it quite like that, but what he said was is if a person uh, has mental illness and it causes them to do terrible mm-hmm. things, they die, and so does the brain in which the mental illness resides. The soul carries on, and the real question is, is the condition of the soul. And here you just mentioned that this this capacity for forgiveness depends on you being able to recognize that you're forgiving a person's actions. Yeah. Because you can't forgive their soul. Yeah. You know, only God can forgive their soul. Only God can provide forgiveness for the eternal part of their nature. So you're basically forgiving them for the temporal part of it Mm -hmm. that affected you. And that has an eternal impact on your eternal soul. You know, which is really kind of wild mm-hmm. and wonderful. So, so, uh, so he gives two suggestions for trying uh, to make forgiving easier, and he puts them in a certain order. So the first thing that he talks about is kind of the simplest thing, which is to start small. Like, don't try to be on the same level as a Jew forgiving a member of the Gestapo. Right. Um, just like forgive some annoying thing that your husband or wife said this week <laughs> or your, or your sister said this week since I just, after two years you know. <laughs> of living in Jasper, I'm finally getting the hang of forgiving people for blowing stop signs and cutting me off <laughs> because it's a constant in this town. I've never seen anything like it. Yeah. I noticed that it happens in Ferdinand too, because when we were on the way to the forestry this morning, uh huh, it was not great. <laughs> You know, I don't want to get started. I've found my peace with that. (laughs) It doesn't make sense. You're putting my family and my life in danger. But go ahead, you know, run, (laughs) do a running stop and not stop. And then pull right out in front of somebody who's only two car lengths ahead of Mm -hmm. you. You know, go ahead. I forgive you. (laughs) So the second thing he says to do, which I think is kind of the real crux of all of this, is to try and understand exactly what loving your neighbor as yourself means. Right. Because he says, like, that means I have to love myself. Yeah. And how do I do that? And do I love myself? Yeah. Which is a pretty deep question. It really is. And I think that that's one of the things that that, uh, is sort of implicit in all of this is, is, can you even forgive yourself? Mm-hmm. You know, there's so many things that we hold ourselves accountable, so many debts that we hold against ourselves. And in a lot of ways, we're more likely to forgive someone else a debt than we are to forgive ourselves. It's, it's kind of amazing. And, it, you know, there's nothing wrong with saying I don't want to be unaccounted, accountable. I mean, like, you know, you can say I've made mistakes and 
I regret those mistakes, and I apologize to the people I've hurt by my mistakes. But I have forgiven myself, and I hope that you can find peace. You know, that's that's a very healthy healing thing to do. Well, and Lewis talks about the fact that there's, like, that's the whole point of him saying you have to figure out if you love yourself, because when it comes down to it, we are pretty good at forgiving ourselves for things we do. Right. And if we can do that for ourselves, we have to forgive others for the things they do. <laughs> well, and I guess what I was driving at a minute ago is is that there's a difference between justification and self-love. Mm-hmm. You know, some people do things that they know are wrong, but then they'll work very hard to create justification for the wrong thing they've mm-hmm. done. That's not forgiveness. You know, that's justification. That's that's validating or trying to validate something you know instinctively isn't right. And then there are the other things we do where either by commission or omission we've caused pain or we've failed God in some way. We have to own that, mm-hmm. and then we have to own the forgiveness that also comes through God's grace. Yeah. Well, it also takes me back to something we that I've talked about on here before but I think is perfect with this forgiveness thing is that the concept of internal and external locuses of control in psychology mm-hmm. and that's that whole concept that I've I've mentioned where it's like if you're driving down the road driving erratically because there's a bee in your car you know that <laughs> you're driving erratically because there's a bee in your car and it's it's like attacking you or something and mm-hmm. um or maybe a hornet <laughs> um and so you know that it's an external problem. But if you see somebody else driving down the road erratically, your first thought is that person is crazy pants and they don't know how to drive. And it's an internal problem. Right. So we have a tendency to put, and I think that with this forgiveness thing, it's a perfect, they go right together because we have a tendency to say how horrible other people are. Right. But forgive ourselves for circumstances that have created problems that we have caused. Well, we all sort of look at the world through our own set of lenses, and Mm -hmm. we assume that everything looks the same to others as it does to us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, okay, so then loving yourself and loving your neighbor, what does that not mean? Well, he says that it definitely doesn't mean that, like, you look at yourself and you're like, am I a nice guy? Am I a nice person? Because sure there are times where you think yeah I'm a nice person but that's not why you love yourself and he says really it's the other way around that the love you have for yourself makes you think that you're probably a nice person but you don't think you're nice be- that's not why you love yourself right and he and so then he flips that around and says that means that loving your enemy doesn't mean you have to think they're nice people yeah yeah but it, which is he says a big relief and I agree it's big relief because there are people that I guess are kind of my enemy based on things that we think but I don't so think as, they're nice as cliche as it sounds you hate the sin but not the sinner and he says yeah and that's an old cliche in my history but I you know it still rings true and I know I I, I like um, the apostle Paul says you know, that he's the least of the apostles. I mean, he holds himself accountable for the fact that he punished and tortured Mm -hmm. and ordered, you know, activities that were hurtful to Christians. But then he says, I am where I am because of the grace of God. So he, he has forgiven himself and accepted the forgiveness of God. So he acknowledges the sin, but he also 
has accepted and acknowledges the grace. Yeah. And then it's so great because this is this is kind of what we were talking about where he says, like, how can you hate something a person has done but not hate them? And it said it took him a really long time to realize that he should be good at it because he's been doing that his whole life because he's been hating things he's done but not himself. Mm. Which is kind of like, oh, yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. <laughs> um. And the fact, and he says, like, the reason you hate certain things you do is because you love yourself. Yeah. And you go, oh, man, why did you do that? So. Cool. Yeah. So what results from incorrectly thinking your enemies to be as bad as possible? Oh, yeah. This is, um, he, he says, like, a really great example, like, if you read about some horrible thing that someone did in the paper, and then later there's some kind of retraction. If your response is, oh, well, I'm really glad it's not as bad as we thought it was, mm-hmm. then you might be on track for forgiving and what you need to be doing. But if you're, like, disappointed, or you <laughs> think the paper's wrong about their retraction... And you're like, oh, no, they definitely were bad. Gee, at the time of this recording, there are a whole lot of people that are really disappointed that the Mueller report didn't produce the damaging, detrimental results that they had hoped. And I am not picking on, I'm not playing the liberal or the the Republican conservative card here or anything like that. All I'm saying is that in my headlines on my phone this morning when I woke up and read them, one news agency is reporting how devastated and disappointed all of the president's enemies are that they didn't get the results they were Mm -hmm. supposed to uh, sure they were going to get. Another news agency reports that it's, you know, that somehow Miller's been suppressed and all of this mm-hmm. is just a great big conspiracy. Yeah. So, in effect, our our journalists who are supposed to be unbiased and truthful and give us the news, just give us the information and let us discern it for ourselves, clearly all have particular perspectives that they wish for us to uh, accept and one side is saying it's still true even if it's been proven not to be true it's still true you know <laughs> and the other side is saying now that it's proven not true would you get over it and move on to something else and yeah it's yeah, kind so of fascinating he basically says if you take pleasure in hearing about the horrible things your enemies have done yes you might be headed down a dangerous path Yes. Um, Which, not to defend those journalists, but he also says that it's almost in our nature Mm -hmm. because of sin. Well, and I would say that especially in the media in our country, that sin rules the day. I I doubt very seriously if there's any uh, genuine Christian morality being... Or, or Judeo-Christian morality being tolerated in um, the gathering of news and reporting it. I, I'm pretty cynical about it. I don't watch network news, and I don't watch the big 
CNN, Fox channels. I don't watch well, any of them. I think you ought to be careful, though, because I think kind of what Lewis is saying is that 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 if you give cynicism ahead, then pretty soon you start to see everybody as bad. Sure. So I think that it's something we have to be careful with because we're if we're not, then we get so cynical and start to believe that the world itself is full of evil and hatred and and even God um, because we enjoy it. Because we enjoy reveling in when somebody does something bad and gets their comeuppance. Well, I certainly think that that is a uh, common issue in our society for sure. So, you're right. Um, so, loving your enemy doesn't necessarily mean that they should go unpunished, though, right? Yeah, but we shouldn't revel in the punishment. And he says, like, because the point, like, it, the point is, if you do something wrong, you should be subjected to punishment, but it's not, our goal is not to enjoy that punishment or... Or to seek out death. You know, he's, he points out that if you're quoting thou shall not kill, you need to understand really clearly that thou shall not kill is referring to a Greek word for murder. Right. I remember that from the book, and that's very important. <laughs> and that when Christ quotes it in all the different gospels that he's quoted in using thou shalt not kill he's talking about murder yes and he says there's even that distinction in hebrew it's not just the greek yes um which means that like if you're a soldier and that's your job yeah for the safety of others that's that really interesting thing that he says about you know when I was fighting in the trenches in World War One, and if I were to kill a fella at the same time he killed me, um, we'd, probably we'd probably have a beer together, laugh and, about it, and at laugh the gates, about yeah. it at the gates of glory, you know. Um, because it's that's what it was about. Yeah. Um, but he's not. He doesn't say like that. You know, if you commit murder, then your punishment should be death. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know that I totally agree with that, but. I do agree that evil needs to be punished. Um, that's justice, right? That we talked about justice. That's um, right. And and to be just is to be like God. Now, we can't be as perfectly just as God, but the fact that we seek justice and we try to distribute justice would make us more like God. And... You know, if you want to look for signs that our society is not God-honoring, then look at how much injustice there is and look at how the judicial system is warped. And, you know, you can see all of that. And, mm-hmm. and you know, taking justice seriously is a very godlike quality. Mm-hmm. So if one is allowed to condemn his enemy's acts, punish him and kill him, then one might question, what is the difference between Christian morality and an ordinary view? How does Lewis reply? 
Well, I'm glad that was the question because I was about to dive into that before you said the question. <laughs> because he talks about how the difference is really important because in our in our belief, we're going to go on forever because we have eternal souls. So, yeah, we might have to kill if necessary, but we're not going to enjoy it. We're not going to love doing it. We We don't enjoy the act of hate. Um, because we believe that souls are eternal and we want, so we have to try to feel for the enemy what we feel for ourselves. So we have to be able to say, I really, what they're doing is wrong and we condemn what they're doing, but we hope that for their sake, they figure that out too, because their souls are eternal, just like ours. Yeah, you really... And that's the important part. There, there's a lot of, of trivializing of hell in, like, movies, for example, and literature. And, you know, the whole concept of hell is really trivialized because it sort of sounds like it's going to be a, a, a big party where all the sin that you enjoyed in life will be the way of life there, that it'll be some sort of anarchy. And, mm-hmm. yet there, and, and you know... <laughs> How do I how do I even say this without starting a whole other discussion? But you know, the 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 concept of hell starts with God. I mean, if God is the creator of everything that exists, then God is the creator of hell and God is the creator of Satan, who was once a uh, welcomed part of the mm-hmm. heavenly host, you know. And to understand that this condemnation is so terrible that, you know, God will ultimately actually bring about the ceasing of that existence so that even in that God is just because people will not be in hell for all eternity. Mm -hmm. They will be in hell and they will be in misery and they will be, you know, suffering terribly yeah but there's not going to be any party you know no. there's not going to be any it's not going to be fun it's it's uh and and randy alcorn had written several years ago a really good book about um basically the nature of you know it was about death and dying and he was basically saying you know the way he's interpreted the bible that hell is a place where there's nothing yeah you're you're absent of the light you don't feel any expression of light or life at all you're just by yourself and in total you know it's just not gonna be a party it's like a void you know um but yeah it and i think he comes back around to the whole thing of using ourselves as kind of that i don't know Like the demarcation line, I guess. Like, right. We use ourselves to as the starting point, um, and he says, like, here's a really easy way to think about that. God loves us, and He doesn't love us because of any really lovely, wonderful, attractive qualities we think we have. He loves us because we are souls He created, which means that we have to love our enemies because they are souls God created despite the evil things they've done. Yep. 
and that kind of brings it full circle because the first thing he says is this might be harder to take than chastity mm -hmm. and the last thing he says is yes it's hard because you're being asked to consider your enemy an eternal being who will suffer eternal consequences for their sin and is that what you want for them you know if there was any chance that even the most horrid sinner could be redeemed would you really not want them to receive that and if you wanted anything other than their redemption what would that say about your own relationship that's, with the redeemer that's what i was thinking if you if you could if you could answer that question and say no i don't want them to be redeemed then you might need to take a real hard look at yourself because Jesus wants everybody to come home. So. Well. But it is hard. We've done another good one here, I think. It uh, was a good discussion, and I think there's a lot for you uh, listeners to think about. And uh, if you want to talk about it more, come see us at the Knowing God with Heart and Mind Facebook group. And if you want to reach out to us and you're not near us here in Jasper, why just go visit our webpage at shilohum.org. That's S-H-I-L-O-H dot org. No, I said it wrong, Bethany. S-H-I-L-O-H-U-M dot org. <laughs> and uh, you'll find all the connection points there to come and, uh, you know, to come visit us at Shiloh. We'd love to meet you face to face. We're down in the southwest quadrant of the state and uh, we would love to meet you there. And uh, if not, then reach out to us through the World Wide Web, the, the Internet, and uh, we'll, we'll get in touch. This episode is going to be dropping during Strassenfest, so you can come and eat German food. That's true. And listen to German music and hang out with us. That's right. That is the annual Strassenfest, the uh, big Jasper celebration of <laughs> Jasper's German heritage. And... Uh, it's, it's quite the party, so come on over to Jasper for that. And uh, while you're here, visit Shiloh and take a, uh, take a visit to, uh, to the good people there who will treat you like you are family. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks again, folks, for your listening. We're honored by your, your uh, uh, willingness to make this a part of your life, and we just want to wish you God's blessings, and uh, I'll just say goodbye for now. See ya.